Good morning. As I said earlier uh, this morning, we are starting this new uh, sermon series. We are, we're going to be reading through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm sure many of you uh, have read uh, this Gospel before. Uh, and for, this, for those of you who have not, I hope that you will uh, read these passages as we uh, look through that. So uh, <clears throat> as a way of starting out this morning's sermon, I want to, um, many of you are getting to know our family. You all know that we have four kids, and I've often told you stories about them. But today, I want to quiz you a little bit, uh, and I want you to think about which child did this. Uh, I have four children. Our oldest uh, is Samira. Uh, our second is Elijah. Our oldest is 13. Elijah is 10. Annika is um, 8. Uh, and Josiah is 6. So uh, so I want you to think about which kid did this. Uh, we So we lost one of our children at a children's museum, not because we are careless parents. No, this child deliberately left us and walked away from our family. This child not only did this in a children's museum, this child actually did this in a different country. We were not even in the United States. She was, she did, this person did it somewhere else, right? And when we finally confronted this child and said, why did you run away? From us, this child looked at us and said, I did not run away, I walked away from you, and I took an elevator so that no one could see me. Any ideas who this was? Any idea? Annika, yes, thank you, you all are spot on. Yes, it is Annika, please pray for us. <laughs> She's not even a teenager yet. Please, please pray for us. See. When this happened to us, and Kristen and I were in a panic. We were panicking. Our blood pressure was running high. And we were just, we, we didn't know what to do. We like told the, the security guards the entire museum was shut down for 15 minutes. And they told us to wait right before um, where the doors to the uh, museum were so that they could bring the child. And finally, the guard... One of the guards found her on a different level, not the one that we were on. And, um, and as all this is happening and we finally see Annika and we hug her and we're like trying to, both are crying, we're holding her. And then we started to notice something. We got those looks. We got those looks of judgment because parents were looking at us saying, yeah, you all need to do a better job caring for your child. Right? And not only were these looks filled with judgment that we lost our child, they have no clue who this child is first. Second is now it was being inconvenient for them because they could not leave the museum. Right? Now they were giving us those looks of like, you all need to be better parents. Right? Have you ever felt judged as a parent? You know, when you felt like you did not perform at a level that you're supposed to, or you did something and you just felt like everybody was looking around and saying, you're not enough as a parent. Have you ever felt that way? Or maybe one day your kid came home and said, mom, Miss King said, my shoes don't fit. Can you please get me bigger ones? Yeah, this happened to Josiah uh, this past school year. Apparently our six year old grew and we forgot to check his shoe size, right? At some point, every parent feels judged. This 
is the universal truth for us. We feel like we're not rising up, right? And the people who judge us, parents, I don't know when they coordinated themselves to become the parent police or supreme rulers to proclaim judgment on others. Friends, if you ever felt judged as a parent, if you ever felt that way, I have some excellent news for you. I have very, very good news for you. You should never feel judged again by another parent. Because no matter how small or how big the standard you did not reach, let me tell you, I have good news for you. Jesus' earthly parents were much worse. These two individuals were really chosen by God. They, they, God the creator picked them and said, you, Mary, and you, Joseph, are going to raise the son of God. Right? Like last year, like all this time we've studied about the incarnation of Jesus. Like God chose them and they failed terribly. Let me just kind of give you a background story as to what I'm talking about. It starts out in Deuteronomy 16, 16. And here in Deuteronomy 16, 16, there's a law. There's a simple, there's a law that was given that all Jewish males should go and celebrate the Passover. When Jewish people were dispersed, when they were taken away from their homeland and were thrown all over the world, they kind of clung to this um, commandment from Deuteronomy. They kind of hung on to that and they took that seriously. And they wanted to come back and be part of the Jewish Passover celebrations. So they would make this trip yearly. And the Holy Family made this trip to celebrate the Passover. We know that Jesus' parents were living in Nazareth of Galilee and they had to travel southward to Jerusalem. One common way of making this trip is that they traveled in caravans. They traveled in caravans. The reason they had to travel in caravans is because a large group of families traveling together would give them more protection. They would all be together, they would all camp together, and they would all walk together. That is how they did it. And this way they could keep the robbers and different people away from them. And also, because they were traveling as a caravan, as a group together, where neighbors and community uh, together, relatives together, each one of them would be watching another person's child as well. And so, this is what we read in verses 43 to 45. And this is what should give every parent a sigh of relief. Hear these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 43 to 45. After this, the festival was over. While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. And they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Oh, poor Mary and Joseph. It took him an entire days of travel before they noticed the boy was missing. This meant that Mary and Joseph almost traveled 20 miles 
or more. And they finally said to one another, do you have Jesus? And Mary goes, I thought you had him. It's like, no, I don't have him. I thought so-and-so had him. And no, nobody has Jesus. 20 a day's worth of travel. They walked 20 miles. And you know, when we read this story, we think about Mary and Joseph realizing that they lost their child and immediately started walking back towards Jerusalem. No, that did not happen. Because remember, they traveled in groups. They couldn't just turn their car around and drive another 20 miles to go pick up Jesus from Jerusalem. No, they had to spend the night there. They had to spend the night there with their caravan of people, with relatives and friends. I wonder how they slept that night, worrying about where their 12-year boy was. Imagine they travel back the next day to get to Jerusalem. And they searched for them all over Jerusalem. And they finally found Jesus in the temple. They finally found him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. Parents, I am certain you haven't lost your kid for three days. If you did, you have very bigger problems. So anyway, <laughs> there is hope for us, for all the parents. See, one of the things that I would love to talk to Luke as I'm reading this story is who took care of Jesus for those three days? Where did he sleep? Who fed them food? Where did he eat? It's not like there was a McDonald's around the corner. Like, what did Jesus do? Did any of the teachers and the rabbis who were in the temple, did they say to him, hey, kid, where are your parents? And I love how Mary responds to Jesus when she finally meets him in verse 27. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. In other words, Mary is yelling at Jesus and saying, what the heck were you thinking? We are worried about you. Don't ever do that again. See, we, when we read the story of Jesus, we go to some big theological lengths to prove that Jesus was fully human and fully God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is something that we read during the Christmas season. Friends, one thing that proves to me that Jesus was fully human is the messiness of this story. We know that Jesus was fully human and fully God. We know in the responses of Mary that she was raising the Son of God who was born to her. Mary and Joseph were both worried about their son. The story reveals that God is in the flesh with us. This morning as we look at this story, I want to focus on three things that Jesus does in this story. As we read this story, this thing, most of the time we read about Jesus, uh, some of the hard teachings that he does. But this morning, I want to focus on what Jesus did. As we start this new year, this new season, I want you to challenge you to think about making a few decisions as you start this year. This year, I hope that you have some big goals as you start this new year so that it just doesn't end up as another year. I feel like one of the first things that Jesus does gives us an action item. When we read the stories, 
in the gospel. We often see that Jesus is fluent in the scriptures. We read stories over and over again that the teachers of the law or the scribes, they try to trick Jesus. Or we read passages where Jesus quotes an Old Testament saying and says in the reading of this, it is being fulfilled. Jesus knew and was aware of what was in the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus is God. He's all-knowing. But he had a command of the Holy Scriptures. And here Jesus is interacting with the scholars of his day, listening and asking questions. Friends, I think we need to be more like Jesus. We got to be studying the Bible regularly. There is no other way to put it. We have to be like Jesus, intentionally seeking the Holy Scriptures. I'm broadly speaking here, but there is a biblical illiteracy among churchgoers. Those who claim to be active Christians, they don't really know their Bible. In 2018, Barna uh, is like a Pew Research Group for Christians. They did a research and found that 54% of those who were part of this study were disengaged with their Bibles. 54%. That is a majority of active Christians disengaged with their Bibles. And 35% said that they never use their Bible. I'm thankful that I grew up in a church that had a strong Sunday school program and we were encouraged to ask questions and learn uh, the books of the Bible and different things and I remember preaching one of my first sermons. I was between 18 and 20 uh, to my youth group and back in those days when you went to youth group you took your Bible with you and I remember standing in front of the group and I was trying to be smart and funny which Kristen reminds me I'm neither. Uh, anyway, on a side note, I remember standing there as a young adult saying, let's turn to Hezekiah 45.5. There were about 30 students in front of me, and there was this one kid who was trying to find Hezekiah, and everybody else laughed, and the whole youth group chuckled. It was immature on my part to pull a prank like that because there is no book of Hezekiah. But if I did the same thing today in church or at a youth group event, a good majority of them would be sitting down and saying, all right, go ahead, read from Hezekiah 45.5. It sounds like a book of the Bible. Friends, we have to be intentional in reading God's scriptures. I hope that you would make this a goal for 2021. There are so many resources at our disposal. You have apps, you have audio files, you have everything at your disposal. And we are constantly seeking information. How many times a day do you check for news articles? How many times a day do you seek information about your football team or your sports team that you're following? How many times do you open your phone and look at your Facebook page? And yet, and yet, 54% of us do not interact with the Bible. We need to learn from Jesus here. Listen and ask questions that we would engage with the Bible. 
not in a passive way, not reading for the sake of reading, but active reading, listening and asking questions when we read the scriptures. The second image that I want to paint for you uh, in your mind's eye is what Jesus is doing. They found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among other teachers. See, Jesus chose to be in the temple courts. He could be doing anything. He could have been glued to the TV or the iPhone or Nintendo or a PlayStation because he's 12 years old. But yet Jesus actively chose to be in the temple courts, to be in his father's house. Jesus clearly states that he is doing his father's business. God sent him into the world and he is doing his father's business by being in the temple courts. I know COVID-19 has brought its own set of restrictions upon us and, and most of us, uh, and for some of us, uh, maybe the novelty of watching a, a Sunday service on your computer screen or on your tablet is fading away. And some of you will feel like you're not ready to be back in the sanctuary to be safe. But I don't want us to forget what Jesus is doing here. He is choosing to be in the temple courts. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we are going to be like Jesus' friends, we need to intentionally choose to be in the temple courts. Jesus is sitting in the temple courts. And for the past nine months, for many of us, our kitchen tables have become a temple court, or our decks, or our living rooms, and for some, even our bedrooms have become a places of worship. We tune in on a Sunday, and sometimes we forget to do that. We catch it later. And because it's so freely available, we might say to ourselves, I'm going to pick it up sometime later. And that later never comes. If we are going to follow Jesus, we need to be intentional in seeking him in worship. I hope one of your goals this year is that you would set aside a time to be part of this worship service. Whether it be Sunday at 9 and 10.15 or Monday while you're driving to work. I hope you will intentionally put some time away to be in worship. Finally, I want to end with this challenge or a goal for us with these words from verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Here, Jesus' childhood is coming to an end, and it's this transitional verse that puts Jesus in public ministry. It is that the verse that bridges Jesus' childhood to being a man. And Jesus grew in wisdom stature and favor with God and man. I think this is an important goal for us to set. One thing that is true for us is we all who are part of this Christian journey, we know that our journey never ends until we meet our Savior. We are constantly evolving and becoming more like Jesus. Here we learn that Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. And this new year, this new season, I don't know if you are looking to grow in more wisdom for the unknown that surrounds you. 
I pray that you would continue to grow in wisdom. And this morning, I hope and pray that you will grow in favor with your neighbor. So my question to you this morning, is there anyone in your life that you're not living in favor with? Somebody that you think of and you cannot show an ounce of love for that person or that individual or that group. Jesus grew in favor with God and neighbor. If God is identifying someone in your heart that you need to learn to love so that you can grow in favor with them, I pray that this year, that this year, that you would move in that direction of loving them, of forgiving them, to mend that relationship. Not all at once, but slowly, step by step. I hope this can be a goal for you this year. As the start of any new year, I was, um, like many of us, uh, starting to read about goals and different things, and I ran into this article um, where a bunch of psychologists were giving us as to how we can keep our goals this new year. And there were several suggestions made, and I want to highlight three of them. One was a reward system. They said if you have a goal that you want to reach, every time you touch that, every time you get close to that goal, reward yourself. And this part, one author said, you know, light your favorite candle and drink your specialty. And I was like, I don't do either of those, so it's not for me. And someone else said, I don't know, how about have a cheat day? You know, if you're on a diet and something like that, have a cheat day so that you can eat all you want. And I was thinking, it's like, what's the point then? And then this author, this, this psychologist said this, and I felt like this was truly biblical. He said, missing is not failing. Missing does not mean the goal is canceled. He said, if you fail, it's okay. You can still pursue the goal. And I think that was absolutely biblical. For when we fail, when we fail to reach a goal, we can always go back to Jesus and say, God, give me a second chance, and he will give you a second chance. It does not mean the goal is canceled. So friends, this morning, I want to challenge you with three goals that you would think about as we journey together as Christians. That you'd be intentional in reading God's word. That you'd be intentional in seeking worship that you would go in wisdom and in favor with your neighbor. Amen.